Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary Media with me, Russell Brand. This week I spoke with Michael Beckwith. Michael Beckwith is founder and the spiritual director of the Agape International Spiritual Center, which was founded in 1986. And I would say a charismatic healer and a mighty preacher and an interdimensional spiritual prism. I mean, God, what a powerful fella. Um, before we get into that podcast, why don't you have be inundated with promotional data? I'm coming to Australia, New Zealand and Canada. There's some tickets available in Sydney. There's some tickets available in Melbourne. There's some tickets available in Auckland. They are going so far. So if you love me as you claim to... Get on russellbrand.com and purchase them. Also, I'm going to be in Canada and the United States. I'm in the United States in May and June. Uh, there's some tickets left for Canada, I think, and the United States ones have just gone on sale. Go to russellbrand.com to get them. Also, I'm speaking in Santa Barbara on the 12th of February. I'm at the California Jam in Costa Mesa on the 14th of February. Valentine's Day in San Diego on the 9th of February. Yeah, go to see me for Valentine's Day then. And San Diego, 19th of February. Again, russellbrand.com sorry for burping down your brain holes make sure to sign up to my mailing list at russellbrand.com to be told first about any new shows sorry about all this I don't know what's wrong I've just had so many intense conversations with various people I mean I'm exhausted go russellbrand.com get tickets that's basically the information also go and check out my YouTube channel where there's vlogs about me there's little there's little spiritual videos stuff like that all kinds of things that you'll really love let me know what you think about the podcast on social media uh, it's at Rusty Rockets hashtag under the skin on Twitter at Rusty uh, at Russell Brand on Instagram on TikTok TikTok it's at Russell Brand and on LinkedIn it's Russell Brand follow me in all those places for little piecemeal bespoke bits of data some of you were kind enough to comment on my lovely podcast with Tommy Rosen, who I like a great deal. Sam F goes, great podcast. It's hard to stay awake all the time. Oh, that's always a good sign. Oh, I mean, not during the podcast, I get you. It's hard to stay awake all the time. Relapse into old patterns. Really helpful points. Still on step two, moving to step three. He's talking about 12-step program. 17 days, not a drop of booze. Well done, Sam. Well done, mate. Excuse me, in nuts. How to Horse Whisperer. Love the explanation by Tommy of his perspective on dealing with addiction and how sensitive addicts are. Yeah, he was great on that, wasn't he? Isn't he a lovely man? Stacey Begg goes, this has made me feel so much better about myself. Well done, Stacey Begg. That's how we want you feeling. Grow Through the Fire goes, whenever people advocate community, I begin to roll my eyes immediately. I might hate people. But is, that, is that the end of the message? <laughs> well, of course you might hate people. Try not to, because they're all right, the old people. And what is it we're hating, really? And where's the hate coming from? Come on, darling. Alex M... <clears throat> oh, God, I'm choking. Alex Emily goes, This was so incredible to listen to. Related to it so much. Taking so much wisdom from it. Thank you. Well, there you go, Alex. It's all happening, baby. Well, I love you all a great deal. Thanks. Now let's get into Michael Beckwith. It's very good if you're on the old spiritual path. I'd say really tune into this one. Really tune in and let yourself feel it in your belly brain and in your little heart mind. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. Michael Beckford, thank you so much for joining me on Under the Skin. I'm so grateful to you for coming here. It's my joy to be here with you. Thank you, sir. Even before, um, you know, just then, the thing we were talking about then was like, you know, 
I've come to the conclusion because of my life experiences that I've got no choice but to live the spiritual life. However, I have the obstacles that I always had, the temptation, the desire, the feeling somehow tethered to material planes, material wants, fears, anxiety, resentment. And the question I asked you just then about like, you know, my feeling, I felt that a spiritual journey, like any journey, I suppose, would feel literally progressive and not so pendular, not like like I'm continually coming backwards. I still feel such petty things sometimes, Mm -hmm. Petty resentment, impatience, intolerance, greed, laziness. Right, right. right. Is this normal? Oh, absolutely. I think that as long as we are human, then those thought forms are going to be available for us to to experience. The thing that, that when you become on a spiritual path, you're just more aware of it. And because you're more aware of it, you have moment by moment choice to participate in it or not participate in it. Um, I think that when a person is unconscious, they just get enraptured by it. They go down the rabbit hole of it. As it, it appears as though they have no choice. But as we grow spiritually, we realize, oh, I don't really want to participate in that thought. I don't want to go down that particular experience. So that's a part of waking up when we actually realize that the content that's passing through is not us. It's just content. And we can choose. When did you first become aware of those ideas? Did someone tell you or did you intuit it? How did that happen to you? Um, for me, it was um, I was attending university, USC, and I began to have a series of spiritual uh, experiences. I, I thought I was going crazy, actually. I was. So the first thing that I did was I stopped smoking weed. I said, this has got to be the, the cannabis and because <laughs> I was having all these visions and dreams, hearing things, and it escalated to the point where I... Um, had a lucid dream in which I was killed in the dream. I was stabbed in the heart. The pain was excruciating physically and emotionally, and I died. When I woke up, I could see differently. I could see that we were surrounded by a presence that I called love beauty. The love was so intense, and the beauty was beyond description. And that opened me up to basically go on a research project to discover what had happened to me. So then in the course of that, I bump into the teachings of the Buddha, teachings of Jesus, teachings of all the great mystics, and realize the base was pretty much the same. Practices may have been different. But that led me to an understanding that, you know, that we're consciousness, we're pure consciousness, and then we have content. For instance, you have the ocean, and then you have the content that's in the ocean. You have pollution, you have seaweed, you have plankton, you have boats. But the ocean and the content are not the same thing. So we're consciousness, and we have content, opinions, points of view, perceptions, positionalities, interpretations of experiences, all that's a part of the content. Waking up happens when we realize that we're not the content. That's what's passing through. And then with expanded awareness, then there's choice. Without expanded awareness, we just have reaction or identification. Identify with the pettiness. Identify, I am petty. I am. But when we wake up, it's, oh, sadness is here. Pettiness is here. Uh, Fear is here. But that's not who I am. That's content. So there's a a shift that takes place. And then more and more and more we discover that we're hanging out more and more in in the atmosphere of love and generosity but the content could still be there, or we could still get caught up in the contagion of it that happens in the world. But now we have practices where we can pull ourselves out of it. Average person can't do that. That's interesting. 
our um, individual awareness, whether we believe it to be ultimately individual or not, feels like, seems like it takes place in a cultural context. You know, I feel like I am experiencing being in Los Angeles in what I'm told is 2020 and I see advertisements and I look at news media and I feel the atmosphere when I'm driving the car or even in my own home or my working environments and when you describe like those uh, visitors of sadness or jealousy how do you think those inner uh, that how do you think that inner content is if affected by external stimuli, and do you think that there are biases in the nature of the stimuli? For example, do you think that fear is particularly promoted, or desire mm. is particularly stimulated in the kind of environments? I mean, sort of like the kind of countries you and I live in, America, right. England, but I'm sure European right. countries and Asian and African countries, it might be the same too. Well, absolutely. Um, I think people have. Um positive and nefarious agendas. And so oftentimes we're, we're stimulated, our, our mind is hijacked by an agenda of what wants to be sold to us or how we can be controlled uh, for uh, other people's purposes. So that's subliminal. It's called, it's a, um, you know, nefarious hypnotism, subliminal hypnotism. We're all affected by that to a greater or lesser degree. So every culture has their idea of that. You, you go into China, it's a little different. You go to New England, you go to um, Britain, you go to America, it's all a little different. But yeah, all of that is a part of the, um, the social milieu that's happening, you know. And, and again, when we start to wake up, I think we're less and less affected by it. We can see it better. You know, we can, uh, I'm not going to participate in that. On that basis, Michael, spirituality and politics are intrinsically linked that yeah. you, you can't disconnect you know right I mean you look at uh, Mahatma K. Gandhi you look at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. you look at individuals who had a spiritual walk and based on a, a, a vision of possibility of how people we could live together they entered into the political fray yeah. to make a big difference in the world so yeah it's, it's definitely linked I think that when you you have a vision of possibility and you're seeking to live that, then, then you, you know, you're involved politically as well. You, can't, you cannot not be. Because as soon as you say we, you know, people would suffer less if they became more aware, people ought to engage with stimuli that makes them as frightened and as full of desire, shouldn't attach to the temporary. If you try to, um, say, proliferate, or spread those ideas, that is a challenge to the dominant orthodoxy. Absolutely. So then we're into like some of the, into the position of some of those great people that you just described, you know, challenging the, the, sort of the mainstream or the hegemony or whatever you want to call it. Well, I think that when we arrive here, we have come to challenge the status quo. <clears throat> That's why we come to have an incarnation. We don't come to walk lockstep in history and what has happened before we got here. We're actually coming to shatter the status quo and to bring about new possibilities. And I think that's a part of the spiritual waking up process, to find what our gifts are, what our talents, what our capacities are, and to unleash them. And in so doing, you know, the status quo doesn't like that. You know, business as usual doesn't like that, whether it's gross materialism or militarism or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, that's, that's the walk. Yeah. And there are sheeple. I mean, there are people that 
are just finding their way to, to, to survive within the status quo. To me, that's kind of a wasted incarnation. You know, you've come and actually, when, when, what we call, you know, when we, the things that we see, I call that the past. It was, it was originally somebody's idea, it was a thought, and then it manifested. So right. we're actually walking in a, uh, uh, in kind of a, you know, the past of what was, what, what was. So people have learned to navigate in a museum of the past wow. rather than to bring the vision of what wants to emerge. Wow. You know, so that, that's the spiritual walk. What wants to emerge in me? Maybe yeah. bring that forward. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Because yeah. even if you'd like look at it on the basic level of design, the design of this room that we're in, it was all gone through a process of conception and right. realization and and uh, instantiation, manufacture. Um, but obviously that's writ larger, like that America was mm -hmm. an idea and right. we're living in the Museum of America right. right now. And if you want to challenge the tenets of the way that museum is run and what should be promoted <laughs> and what could maybe not be displayed anymore, right. then that's you're starting to challenge the powerful. I mean, that's, the challenge I have is that spirituality has long been regarded, whether you're talking about conventional Christianity in a country like America, secularized with the, in the obvious separation, of mm -hmm. church and state or with the emergence of new age spirituality in both mm -hmm. cases they're kind of regarded as private individualized pursuits that may have philanthropic goals but those goals should be separate from the pursuits right. pursuit of power we don't like it if right. like religious or spiritual figures start saying hey listen ecologically there should be some change or economically there should be some change or even with civil rights you know like those people you gave example didn't right. end well for those guys. Right, right. right. No, they did not. <laughs> Both of them were taken out of here by the by the power structure. Yeah, absolutely. the 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 idea is we've come to make changes, you know. And when you when you when you wake up spiritually, that's that's why you're here, um, and your your mere being challenges it, you know, because you don't buy in to the things that people normally buy into. And I think, you know, I don't think everybody could do everything, but everybody could do something. Everybody has a gifted area of genius that they're to bring the new in. And so um, the status quo, the, 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 I, I don't ever say things like um, truth to power. I say we're speaking truth to pseudo power because there's only one power and that's the presence. Everything else is pseudo and temporary. Even those that think they're in power, it's all a temporary game, temporary gig. So we're here to speak truth to pseudo power and make changes to the best of our ability. Or why be here? Most people will know you because of agape. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Agape. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, like your church. Well, there is in LA, but you've got other churches, haven't you? And like you're like, this is see if I'm saying this right. That like I feel like you're a great preacher in like this place, and the people that talk about you say you're fantastic and you bring the light and you bring the power and all that. The other thing I hear is that it feels like um, it's not overtly specifically Christian, like there's a lot of aesthetics that feel Christian, but I see from dealing with you now and, and obviously listening to you that you take influences from perennial yes. sources. Right. Um, how did you how did you move from having these experiences of awakening in USC to uh, establishing these kind of this organization? Mm. Well, it took me a number of years to integrate you know, the, 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 what I was seeing, the visions I was having to integrate it. I, I, I had no interest of being on the earth plane because I loved being in the blissful, very high states. Before that, you got high a lot. Yeah. 
So you used to love being high, and got, then you got this on the spiritual tip. Yeah, I got high, and I was selling. Oh, you was a drug dealer. Yeah. <laughs> he was dealing the drugs. I was dealing to pay for my tuition. <laughs> he was an entrepreneur. I was an entrepreneur. I had, and I had, you know, people working for me in Nashville, Atlanta, New York, LA. Oh my God, you were doing really well. Yeah, it was doing pretty good. And, uh, <laughs> but, but I had this awakening, and um, well, I stopped. I didn't get high anymore. And, Is that because um, of them dreams? This, when I had that experience. The knife in the heart. That was you dead. Gone. My whole priorities changed. Okay? And so people thought I was crazy. My, I lost all my friends. People were saying Michael's freaked out on Jesus. You know, because... Was you talking about Jesus? No, I was just talking about the presence. Right. You know, I loved Jesus. I studied his stuff. He, he was on it, you know? And, uh, but the presence was so real to me, and still today is so real to me. It was more real than the chair I'm sitting on. Wow. And so people say, wow, he's really freaked out. All the people are like, hey, hold on a minute. We're trying to run a drug business in Nashville. <laughs> I left. You're talking about Jesus. <laughs> I'm talking about the presence. <laughs> and uh, so ultimately, um, you know, so I was always trying to be, in, I was in this ascended space. I had even changed my name at the time. I was even using Michael. And, and, um, and then uh, I realized that I've taken a human incarnation. That's important. I didn't take a human incarnation to leave the body, to go somewhere. I took a human incarnation to bring the light here. So instead of being an ascended master, I wanted to be a descended master. I wanted to be here, fully embrace my humanity, fully embrace being human, but to bring the love and the intelligence and the beauty through this, this being a filament of light, this being like a light bulb, you know. And so I ultimately became... A spiritual therapist. I was licensed at a, a church of religious science. I saw six to eight people every single day. I did workshops, seminars, and I had a, a calling within me to start a community, which I resisted for a long time. I mean, I was getting in dreams and visions, and psychic friends of mine were always saying, the ancestors want you to start a community. Beings want you to start a community. God wants you to start a community. I said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm doing my thing. I'm doing my seminars. I got my weekends off. I'm good. And then my life started to unravel. And um, I was literally had like an existential crisis where I had to accept the next level of my incarnation. How old were you there? I was probably, oh my God, I don't know. I'm not really into age. Probably somewhere 27, 28, 29. Yeah. And, um, so I eventually, I remember going to Puerto Vallarta. I was sitting in a hot tub meditating, and I saw a vision of agape. I saw this community. And I came back, and I had a, a, a job at the time. I was the spiritual director of a, of a prayer ministry. It was the director of training. And I said, uh, I'm going to be quitting soon. I'm going to start my own community. And I'll always remember this. And the lady said, where? And I said, I've been guided to start it in Santa Monica. And she said, what about your people? And I said, short people? <laughs> and she said, oh, I didn't, didn't mean anything by that. <laughs> and I said, I think everybody's my people <laughs> like that. But eventually, I pulled together a vision group. And we met every Thursday night, basically going into catching the vision of what agape could be. 
and we would articulate that vision. And then I would ask, what is it that we must become in order to manifest this vision? So the whole work for months was about becoming energetically the energy of Agape International. So it wasn't about business plans and strategic strategies. and It was about who we had to be in order to birth this community. Do we really love? Are we really forgiving people? Do we really, are we really generous? Uh, we had to really own those qualities and look at the places within us where we weren't. Rather than go just start a community, we had to, uh, so I, I challenged all of us to become that more. And then November the 30th, 1986, I had my first service. That's so almost 34 years ago. And we've been rolling ever since. So I had to give up a lot of resistance to that. Uh, I didn't want to do it. I'll tell you, I remember one time, um, I used to have a crook in my neck where I couldn't turn my neck all the way to the right. And I would, you know, get the adjustments from a chiropractor on a regular basis and temporarily it'd be okay. Then slowly it would tighten back up again. So the moment I said, yes, I will, I will do this, my neck popped into place. And I, I never had to go back again. It was like... I was resisting life, and that resistance was stuck in my body. But the moment I gave a full-on yes to being a point of establishing this community, the, the mobility came. I could go left and right. And, and I kind of live in that, I live in that yes, you know. Uh, I, I live in surrender, I live in yes. Even if I don't know how to do something, the yes opens me up to the wisdom and the guidance and whatever the next step is supposed to be. When you made the decision to open yourself up to the agape instead of conceiving strategies and plans, simply becoming the people that were required to manifest that vision, what things was hardest for you? Did you find there were certain things that were difficult to let go of? Were there certain yeah. challenges in you? There was, I know within me, it was my ability to receive and even to receive love. There was a... Um, not, I, I don't know if it was a deep sense of unworthiness, but almost. It was like, why? You know, so I, could, I was a really good giver. But I, I can remember, like, didn't want all that energy on me. I didn't want all that coming in. And I, I'd put, up, put the brakes on it. So I had to really work with, and still do to this day, just the ability to be in the, the flow of, 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 of love and re receptivity of it. Why do you think that is... Yeah, you know, I don't have the genesis of it. Um, you wouldn't, you wouldn't seek to understand that psychiatrically you know, or biographically. It just gets gets healed. I mean, I could I could probably go into the emotional distance, emotional reservedness of my dad. I could go into my mother being overbearing. I could go into the psychological dynamics of my family, which I have done that over the years. But today, I just go into. Um, releasing the energy, the toxic energy, and embracing what's trying to emerge. I don't have to know the genesis of it to be healed. Oh, so what do you think is, do you think then psychiatry in its sort of modern form has a value as an excavational and analytical yeah. tool? And then I'd love to know more what you mean about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that not just psychiatry or, or psychology, but the psychologist or the psychiatrist are most important. 
So if it, if a psychiatrist uh, puts you in a box of their particular therapy, that's kind of abuse, you know. But if they're with you and help you become aware of your pattern, yeah. So you be, you can actually see that there's a pattern, but that pattern isn't me. I become self aware of the pattern. Yeah. Then we become free. But if I but if a psychiatrist goes unconscious and just is led by their training, then they end up doing damage to the individual. They put them in a Freudian box or a Rogerian box or whatever that box is. That's, that's not good therapy. Good therapy is helping a person become awake and aware of their patterns so that they can make higher choices. So, so I, I, I do believe in therapy, but primarily I believe in spiritual therapy. What do I mean by that? Oftentimes, therapists will look for the pathology in an individual. A spiritual therapist looks for the light. Not to make a person normal, because what is normal? But I'm looking for, you know, the beauty. I'm looking for the presence. And as I start to resonate with that, I can call it out. Oh, you see, that's cool. You see, that's, that's spiritual therapy. It's, it's, a, it's a different... It is. I hear how you explain it. Like the, the pathology is bringing your focus to the negative and trying to understand the negative and perhaps in so doing emphasizing it. But the spiritual thing, which seems somewhat more sort of shamanic yes. and alchemic, it's difficult to rationalize it. That right. idea of looking for the light essence in a person and connecting with that resonance and trying to elevate that. That seems like it could be a pretty... Well, you didn't, I don't imagine that is something you can control, is it? Well, to the, to the ability, to the best of your ability, if you're doing your own inner work, if you have your spiritual practice, because you're only as good as your own practice. Right. So when you, if, you're, if you're doing your own work on yourself and you're having those awarenesses yourself, then you can assist somebody else. But you can't go in with a theory that God's in everybody. You, know, you, you, have to, you actually have to have that awareness yeah. and see it. To call it forward. I read this thing, when, um, and it was my therapist, who I think he's like you say, I think he is trying to find the light in you. He's like, he's trained in all sorts of things, but he comes from, basically he comes from his own pain. You know, he's like a person that's 40 years, clean and sober and stuff, and pretty intense person. He showed me this thing by the, I think he's like a philosopher, Eric Fromm, who said yeah. about the, the priests and prophets, that the priest preaches the word, the prophet becomes the word, yeah. so that you think, oh, I'm, I'm with it. It's not a theory. It's, right. a, it's right. a, an entity. Right. And that, that, that is what we need. We right. don't need more on the intellectual, rational no. plane. It doesn't heal. It has to become the activity of your awareness, to a real deep knowing. You know, it's, a, it's an insight that then becomes stabilized. And an insight is an event that takes place within our awareness where we suddenly or incrementally know something that we previously just believed. It's like an aha moment. I got it. And then our spiritual practice stabilizes that insight. So we're actually living in that space. And it's not airy-fairy, it's not far off, it's just it's embodied. So now... You affect people just because you're in the room. You know, you don't even have to say anything sometimes. Your vibration's different, you know. How do you do that healing on yourself for things like, you know, you said that at first you sought to have a kind of a rational understanding that then realized that there's a healing, letting go of the toxicity. Is that something you can do for yourself or tell me how to do for uh, myself? It's combo. One, spiritual practice, you know. To me, meditation is is the main key to be able to... Uh, become a candidate to pay undistractable attention to reality, to notice the stuff passing through and be able to disidentify with it, uh, to be strong enough that when you have an insight, you don't scare it away. 
with addictive behavior, you know, you're able to embrace it. And, and you know, and then at the same time, you're not pushing away negative when it comes up within you. Not, I don't want to. I don't want to experience that. I want to resist that. You know, you learn how to embrace the insights, embrace the pathology until your attention transmutes it. You know, everything changes on a subatomic level based on the observer effect. So if you have an intention to wake up, whatever you're observing is being changed on a subatomic level just based on your observation. So if you're embracing rather than addicting, addict, becoming addicted to or trying to repel from, if you, just, if you learn how to embrace, then great changes take place. Have you now, and I'm assuming that you have, established yourself in a position spiritually where the ordinary vicissitudes of life, getting in a car, going to a place, dealing with people, maybe someone's rude, maybe someone flatters your ego, are you able to navigate that space sort of enshrined within spiritual contact? Pretty much. You know, I I, I very rarely take things personally from people, you know, I'm 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 happy most of the time, you know. Uh, I can see stuff, you know. Um, it's, you know, obviously the things you don't like, things I don't like. I prefer certain things to be a certain way, but the unbotherability factor is high, you know. And uh, so I, I I like that part of it. You have preferences, but yeah. they're not requirements. That requirements for happiness. Yeah. I have preferences. Sometimes that's reco- I'm like on edge, man. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> I'm criticizing it. Mm, I don't need that happening. Yeah. You know, like, cause you see that thing you were saying earlier about I like, cause I was a drug addict also. Yeah. And like, I, I, I want to live out there. I don't yeah, yeah. want to be down here. If I'm here, I want to be having experiences, like say sexual experiences, for example, right, right, younger, right. that are so overwhelming that I don't need to be present in the rational narrativizing right. mind. And uh, mm. I find it very, I'm still just learning about how to be in that awareness and how to observe. You know, I get good, I have good meditations practice, I say, you know, at least it feels good. And, mm-hmm. and um, when I'm doing my works in front of people, I feel good connection, mm-hmm. good channeling. Mm-hmm. But when I imagine that the, you're on a different frequency when you're doing that stuff, huh? when oh, you're yeah, preaching. Right. <laughs> you got it though. You got it. Uh, but I, I can't be here. <laughs> well, like I can be here, but mm-hmm. like uh, I need to be able to do normal stuff. How do? Well, how am I going to do that? You, you want to be able to bring that to the normal? Is that what you're saying? I just even if I can't, because it doesn't look like you're doing that. You're not right now with me on the level of what? <laughs> take the agape light. <laughs> take that. No, no. no. <laughs> not but but I'm but I'm feeling it. I'm right. feeling your light. Oh man, how beautiful. <laughs> but like um, but I feel like uh, I want to be able to say, you know, when I'm dealing with people at work or dealing with my wife and my kids, to, to be able to sort of not get like say my wife today was, you know, she was like my, our kids were up a lot in the night last night. My wife was like just upset about minor things and like she's not doing her own projects and, and I'm like and I like I feel like I want to sort of almost force her to solve <laughs> these problems immediately. Like right, you got to do this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. Like, you know, it like, never works. Right. Plus, that's also the masculine tendency uh, in us. We want to solve it really fast, and oftentimes the, the, the feminine pr- process is a process, and sometimes a part of that process is actually talking about it. Or, or, or describing it as the masculine process is, oh, this is broken. Let me fix this. We don't have to talk about this anymore. <laughs> so I think that um, 
uh, <laughs> we're, men are learning to be more uh, available on the feminine, and then women are learning more to be available on the masculine. So it's a greater balance, you know. So when I'm feeling that in that moment of like, because really what, it, in a sense, it's a positive impulse. I want to protect her and look after Absolutely. her on one level, but also on the other level, it's make this inconvenient <laughs> thing go. <laughs> I don't want to experience what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> Rub that away. Erase yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, what would be, what kind of presence and awareness would you bring to a, a, an ordinary domestic or work situation such as that to help? I, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a, a you know, boilerplate kind of situation but i think uh, listening on two levels is what's important i think there's there's a listening to whoever you're with you know to hear what they're saying and also to listen to hear what they're not saying because sometimes they're not saying fix this sometimes they're saying i'm in pain and i just want i just want your ear i just want your heart so i think there's that one level of listening then the other listening is to listen to your own heart listen to the spirit so that you're guided to the next move. Am I, am I supposed to do something now or am I supposed to listen? And so if we get out of our ego about just trying to fix it and we're listening on both those levels, then the next move will be, will be appropriate. And it's not boilerplate. You know, the, 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 you know the, your move towards your wife may be a totally different kind of move for somebody else and their wife. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like, well, every time this happens, you should do this. Mm. No, it doesn't work like that because no. we're so unique. Yeah, so many variables, yeah. and it, that would be in defiance of the principle of continual awareness to the absolute specificity of the ever-shifting moment if there were, as you say, a boilerplate right. solution. What were you like when you were a little boy? What was that like? Interesting, when I had my first awakening at, at SC, I remembered the other awakenings that were trying to happen as a kid that I pushed away. I didn't know what it was. For instance... When I was 11, and my family's from Washington, D.C. I was in Washington, D.C. It was my birthday. My grandmother sent me to the grocery store to get something. So I'm in one aisle, and all of a sudden in my mind, I see the stock boy in the other aisle about to drop some baby food. So I run around and I catch it. And he says to me, how did you know it was going to fall? I couldn't explain it. I said, I just saw it. So I'm walking home with the groceries. My uncle... My mother and my grandmother are sitting on the stoop, and I'm in this big expanded space. Now, I don't know what this expanded space is. I'm 11 years old, but I know something's different. And I look at them, look at me, and I'm saying, wow, my mother thinks I'm her son. My uncle thinks I'm his nephew. My grandmother thinks I'm her grandson, but I'm not. I'm something else. What am I going to do when I get next to them? So I get closer and closer and closer, and I capitulate my energy to become my mom's son and my uncle's nephew, my grandmother's grandson. I can remember, like, shrinking. That year, I was running for something in student body, treasurer. I got up to speak. This energy just came out of me. It was crazy. It embarrassed me. People were like, what the hell? Because <laughs> I started speaking about being an excellent student and all this. What the hell? And I learned how to close it down so I could be normal. So... Fast forward, my last year at SC, when I had this awareness, I couldn't get back in. I couldn't get back in the in the smaller box. And then I remembered different times in my life where it tried to break out, where with me trying to break out, and I didn't let it. But it, but in, that last year it came out, and it was like 
people thought I was crazy and that was it. You know, now pe- thousands of people come to see me. <laughs> come to see this crazy guy. <laughs> the mental breakdown going strong. Right, right. It was definitely a breakdown for a breakthrough. Yeah. Why did it feel embarrassing, do you think, that time when he was uh, on the talking? I think just breaking, and we were talking about earlier, breaking the status quo. There's certain coolness when you're, you're, you're in elementary school, you're in junior high school. It's cool to be a certain way, you know. And I think going way out and speaking about like living excellence, that was way beyond the pale at that time for, for the people I was being associated with. So it was kind of embarrassing trying to be that bright, that young. So I, I've, I had to find a way to get normal again. I remember being in a couple of fights that week and, yeah, just certain things. Like, I'm, I'm not the person you saw on stage. I'm not that guy. I don't know what happened, you know. It's like Teen Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there's another energy yeah, yeah, yeah. coming through and then you've got to be on the material plane and right. live with that right. mad chaotic energy. I think I understand what you're saying, yeah. Michael. I think I understand what you're saying. So do, do you still do the kind of six to eight people a week type counselling or do you just no. do congressional I do, healing I, and that? I will do, um, if I'm called, I'll do, I'll do uh, certain people that I know touch a lot of people. You know, if, if, if this person gets it, he's going to affect a lot of people. So I'll sit with people like that. Or sometimes I'm just guided. Uh, someone will be talking to me and I'll say, well, come see me. You know, because I'll know that it may take a number of sessions if they sit with somebody else. But I, with, I, after about 40 minutes, I can kind of see what's happening and work with them, you know. So, you know, but I can't do it now. I'm running a, a community, so I don't have the the time to do that but when i first started i did and then i cut it down to three days a week then i cut it down to two days a week and then now i train practitioners i train spiritual therapists you know they're in my community and and they they do most of that work Hmm. but i will see certain people you know so i feel like uh this you know where the block is i feel where the block is sometimes i feel the behind the eyes sometimes Mm -hmm. i feel the original wound Mm -hmm. you know it's uh I feel like that's the thing that needs to go i that was most resonant when you said the thing of don't strategize your plan going forwards instead allow the um vision to become actualize become right. actually become the person that can live that vision right there's that's something amazing. always trying to emerge within you within us all the time it's right there so we have to ask we have to live in an inquiry as what's trying to emerge rather than um how can i how can i fix this thing it's how can what's trying to emerge and after a while we'll be able to articulate to the best of our ability what's trying to happen and then our attention goes there and the process of that this other thing gets healed yeah, because what I, <clears throat> I suppose we have, of course, the egoic construction that you describe awakening from periodically as a little boy, like bursting out of the shell of that thing. Oh, I'm not my uncle's n- nephew. And then, like, see, uh, when I meet spiritual teachers, I feel like, oh, I see, they live there. They mm. live in that place that I go to sometimes, have my head in there, look around <laughs> it. And I'm, like, I'm going back down. <laughs> like, and I'm back down here again with all the agitation and the aggravation. And, um, you know, and I feel like 
being able to have that perspective of knowing oh what i want in what i i want in this situation is the filter of the ego if mm -hmm. i can if i can allow that to dissipate then i will see what's actually trying to emerge in yeah, this situation there's actually a quality there that wants in your desire there's actually something that's beautiful that wants to come up behind behind every human aberration there's a spiritual aspiration you see it's trying to come forward and as you say it comes through the filter of the wound, it comes to the filter of the samskara, the samara, you know, all of that. Um, but if you you get in touch with what it, what the real essence is, you know, and you give it permission to come forward, it begins to heal all the other stuff. Given then that our culture is merely a conglomeration of numerous, you know, multitudinous yeah. human essences, do you think that what we're aspiring towards culturally, even if it may seem like everything's getting commodified, everything's getting turned into a product, we're ransacking the earth, we're making things about superficial beauty, do you think that essentially underneath these peculiar manifestations, these negative cultural manifestations, there is a true and beautiful essence oh, trying yeah. to... What is it? Absolutely. It's... It's called by many names. It's called the Buddha mind. It's called the Christ. It's called love essence, limitless love intelligence, cosmic glory. You know, it's called by many things, but it's life. And life is magnificent. Life is beautiful. Our experience of life is different from life. Many people think their drama is life. No, that's not, that's not life. That's just your limited perception that's limiting the fullness of life. So you're having an experience of your doubt, your worry, your fear, your separation. But life itself is beautiful. So everybody is the life essence. And this life essence is trying to burst forward according to our uniqueness. Our unique, everyone's unique. There's no one the same, there's no cookie cutters. The infinite doesn't repeat itself, you know. And so, so behind all of the stuff, there's this beautiful life called by many names that wants to know itself as you. It knows itself as love, beauty, intelligence. But it wants to know itself as you because there's only one you. So it wants to know itself as your life. So when you open up and you have an insight, now ooh, it's knowing itself as Russell. This is, this, is, this is the life as Russell. This is the life as Michael. So it, it's, there's infinite potential, infinite possibilities. Um, everyone carries the vibration of infinitude, you know, so we're trying to break out for that to occur. Now, society has its rules, its regulations, um, the way it impacts us to, to force us into certain cages of conformity, you know, so we're always working against that. Life is always working against that, not just to be chaotic, you know, I guess be, be, you know, the word is chaotic, you know, there's an order underlying all the chaos that reveals itself at higher and higher levels. Huh. This is what art is. I mean, art is like, well, we're going to break through and I'm going to bring forth this new sculpture or this, you know. So we're supposed to be soulful artists, everyone, everyone, to bring into even the smallest little task the full dynamic of life to express itself. So I, I think I'm answering your question <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the answer. <laughs> We're rolling. <laughs> With that agape, how do you you say you know that your uh, mission now is uh, the tending that vision? Uh, how do you cultivate and continue? You, would you say the thing that you started to do before creating agape 
is still what you're doing now, becoming ready for it to it's, just continue it, manifesting. It's 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 more. I mean, I'm always you know working on my own insights and revelations, but now there's a community that. One of, the, one of the visions we had when we first started, we, we wanted to be the next stage of human evolution. That's what came out in the articulation. So when I look out at the audience, I see the possibility of what our society could look like. Everybody's there, black, white, straight, gray, Latino, Iraq, Iran. Everybody's in the room. Muslims, Sikhs, Christians, you know, atheists, we're all, we're all there celebrating this divine life. And entering into collaboration with each other, philanthropic collaborations, you know, entrepreneurial collaborations, um, you know, like working together with the underlying energy being, you know, our guiding, guiding impulse. So that's still going on. So now there's affiliates of that springing up around the country and around the world where some of my teachers are going out now and doing that or people are coming in to being, to being trained. So that's happening. And then I'm just available now to the next level of what I'm supposed to do. You know, that's being handled. I'll, I'll probably work with that a little bit to get a, to get a, um, a, a spot for it, you know, that, 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 the, that the community owns, that's theirs, you know, that, that will be a part of what we do. But other than that, I'm, I'm on my own edge of what's next. You know, what's my next iteration? What's my next level of teaching? What's, I'm ready for that as well, you see. I love agape. Agape is beautiful. I love the classes. I love, the, you know, the whole deal. What do you think? So, like, it sounds like with agape, it's about creating s- satellite structures in other areas so that uh, you can cr- sort of institutionalize, create more space, create communities that can entirely enshrine people, people can live within it. Um, do you, I feel, don't you feel like that if you experience success in this area, that there will be opposition? And have you already begun to feel that opposition in any way? I think not as much now. It may happen again as we the vibration gets more increased. In the beginning, there was opposition, uh, persecution, primarily from the um, traditional churches, you know. Um, and even from... Stealing their flock. Yeah. And even from the metaphysical people, uh attacking me to a degree because <clears throat> because I reintroduced surrender back into the program whereas a lot of the metaphysical people were into what I call stage two manifestation you know basically just visualizing and getting what you want kind of thinking yeah and there's nothing wrong with that that's a stage you grow through and I brought back beyond that there's something within us that wants to come forward. We have to surrender to it. And surrendering is not surrendering to an external deity. It's surrendering to your next stage of unfoldment, which is God becoming conscious of you. The same way that a, a rose seed would surrender to the actual plant or an avocado seed surrendering to being an avocado tree. It's not an external thing. It's actually an internal thing that's unfolding. So I was attacked because they said, oh, Beckwith is taking us back to old religion, us surrendering to God. I said, no, no, no. Surrendering to the next stage of your own evolution. You know? So on one hand, the traditional churches were saying, blasphemy. He doesn't believe in Jesus. And then the, the metaphysicians were attacking me. Blasphemy. He's surrendering to an external deity. So it was coming from both ends. And I weathered the storm, and everything's good. You know? <laughs> Because that whole, what you just described as stage two manifestation, I suppose what's curious 
is on one level I feel that human beings inadvertently move towards the sacred. If we don't have a, a sacred path, then we turn the mundane things into sacred, make sex sacred, make drugs sacred, make work sacred, make money, power sacred. And on the other hand, that when you do get on the spiritual path, people try to pull that back into the materialism, like uh, become spiritually enlightened so yeah. you can make more money at work. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's the, that's like the Trojan horse mm. to get people to actually go into the spiritual realm. You can have it all, you know. Yeah. And there are teachers, I think there are teachers for every level. So there are some teachers, like if you want to learn how to manifest and make money, there are teachers that are, that are genius at that. You know, yeah. but ultimately, it's really about your connection with the presence. And then, absolutely, if you, you can't be the light of the world, if you can't pay your light bill. So you might as well learn how to have your needs met. You might as well learn how to have good relationships with people. You might as well learn how to take care of your body temple so you're not sick all the time. You know, you learn how to, I, I, these are what I call unstable structures. You know, our relationships, our physical body, our financial, our, our livelihood, you know, community, we learn how to stabilize those things so more light can flow through them, you know, but not to, um, we're not here to, we're not here to intellectualize the spirit, we're here to spiritualize the intellect, and we're not here to, you know, just create a whole lot of material, to, to get caught back up into the material, but we do have to have our needs met. So there's a balance there, you know. Negotiating that balance must be challenging because it, it more, uh, conventional institutions such as government or you know orthodox churches would say no we're doing the same thing we need you know catholicism or the vatican or whatever to be super powerful in order that we can pursue our mission but we all know like in recent years the challenges that that's presented or you know the government of my country or your country we're just doing the best thing for the right, most people right. but we know really how they operate in the right, world of right. business and how they operate ecologically. selfishness greed yeah so how do we watch our own deal with that how do you how, how do, do you do you feel beyond that now do you feel that you there is never going to be a version of you that falls into the trap I, of I the ego I, or I, whatever I, you know I, I, everybody has their own traps of the ego you don't get away from that as long as you have a body you have an ego do you yeah why because yeah. you think the ego is resourced from anatomy hormonally and neurologically well not only the ego from an evolutionary context is here to protect you to protect this identity it, so it creates right. a sense of separation so that you can tell the difference between you and the dog and you are something yeah you know <laughs> chop your hand off yeah, and yeah. throw it in the right. street yeah so so you will always have one you, you just have to be aware that it doesn't run the show that was running the show is the the, the the impulse of life, you know, that you're, 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 um, so you always have to be aware of it. You always have to work with it to make sure, you know, am I trying to look good, you know, or am I really trying to be of service, you know? Do you, when was the last time you caught yourself trying to look good? Uh, probably last week. No way! <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I now became aware that I was dealing with the situation. And I became aware that my ego in the situation, I was doing the, I wanted to do the right thing. But I was aware that I wanted to also look like I was doing the right thing. You know, and, and I said, oh, got it. You know, just be clear. You don't have to look like you're doing the right thing. Just be yourself. But I could see the ego had gotten, gotten um, in, invested in not only doing what was right, but looking like I was doing what was right. Yeah. So that I had to let go of. I don't. I don't care what it looks like, or what people think about me. 
Just do the right thing. The ego is very tenacious. It's, it's, it's tenacious. It's slippery. And it becomes more subtle as you evolve. Right, because it's with you. Yeah. And do you think, like, in, you know, because I'm a sort of a 12-step recovery person, that's where I learned my spirituality is from ha getting clean from drink and drugs and going through the process of inventory and that's in 12 steps and then the process of amends and the process of staying aware and prayer and meditation and service as presented through 12-step recovery fellowships. One of the things they talk about um, is like you know do, c doing kind things mm -hmm. uh, that can't no one can find right, out. Anonymous. <laughs> I used to have workshops like that. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Because I and I was thinking about that, and I suppose because if you're doing kind things and no one can find out, then it's only you and God that right, know, right. and you're building that thing. I, I teach there as a part of forgiveness as well. Like it's a stage in forgiving. You, you, you're forgiving someone, so the first stage you have to be willing to forgive. The second stage is you have to go through a forgiveness process. And in the third stage, you have to see things from their point of view, at least imagine, you know. And then the next stage is um, wishing them well, for real, not just faking it, <laughs> you know. And then the next stage is actually doing something kind for them anonymously, you Whoa. know. You, so you're extending the energy. You're making sure if you're really forgiving, you're going to really do something anonymously, you know. So you go through those. So I'm, I'm really with the whole anonymous. I used to have workshops like that. I remember... I had everybody do something. Oh, give, make sure that they were giving a gift to somebody, but not get caught. You know, something that somebody really needed. And so I remember these two guys and this woman were in this workshop, and this one of the guys paid this girl's rent. He found out she was about to be evicted. So he paid her rent. He put in an envelope, this is for your rent. And another guy took credit for it. <laughs> she, she thought it was this other guy. And she said, I know what you did. And he's like, what? I know what you did. He kind of like sheepishly, he didn't say he did it, but he didn't say I didn't. And the other guy was like, he, but he couldn't break the anon anonymous vibe and say, I paid the rent. <laughs> His ego was going crazy. Oh, you know? the ego's not going to like that. My ego didn't even like it. <laughs> I was thinking like um, going around, say if you see cars with parking tickets, like you could just take the parking ticket, you could call up and pay it. Yeah, that's no, great. That no one would ever know. That's great. I'd really want people, like, I want people to, hey, I see this guy paying parking tickets. <laughs> Maybe he's the new Jesus. <laughs> right, 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 right. Look at him. He's great. <laughs> Whoa, this guy. We should build a palace for him or something. It <laughs> something, should be some right, sort of right, special right. day to celebrate. Yeah. Um, when something happens that causes a great spiritual uh, echo or has repercussions like the death of Kobe Bryant, God rest his soul, uh, what what do you think is happening culturally and socially when that happens and and what do you think are the consequences of lacking clear and cohesive spiritual practices are when we experience that like when it's a, sort of a, a shock event like that? yeah well first of all when when i heard i was sitting in agape when it happened somebody showed me a text and i said i'm not going to say anything to the congregation until i realize it's not a hoax once so once we got through that period I went up and before I talked, I said, I'm going to share something with you. You know, Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven other people have just been killed in a, in a helicopter accident. And you can feel the audience change. I said, before you go into, you know, your deep feeling about this, I want you to think about his wife. I want you to think about the people they left behind. And I want you to hold them in prayer right now. Let us move into the space of thinking how they feel that were actually in intimate relationships with them. We know them as superstars, dunking on the basketball court and all that. But the people that actually knew them, think how they're feeling right now. 
and let's hold the space for them. And let's, throughout the course of this day, let's walk with that awareness that Kobe's wife, his daughters, and the rest of the people, their friends and family are going to be mourning deeply because it was a sudden, sudden shift. You know, yes, you're going to have your feelings, but let's, let's go there first. And then what, what happens is um, people really get a sense of the blip of time we have on this planet. We don't know. Mortality is real. Meaning, yeah, we're eternal beings. We live forever. You can't ever experience death because it doesn't exist. But you're going to leave this body at some point. So I think that there has to be an awareness of our mortality so that we're not lazy. We're not waiting till tomorrow uh, to tell somebody that we love them or to give that gift or to develop a talent. You know, I, I just, right after that, one of my ministers just got killed two days ago in a car accident. You know, I just hugged her on Sunday, just talking and hanging out. I just got a text uh, yesterday. She got killed in a car accident in Las Vegas. Somebody hit her and killed her, you know, just like that. So I think more t we have to be aware. We don't know. She, didn't, she probably didn't consciously plan to leave her body, consciously. So I think that mortality keeps us present. Don't wait. Do what you're called to do now. And then I think you to walk with one foot in the eternal and one foot in time. You know, so eternal in the eternal, your know, life is beautiful, it's eternal, it's forever, you know. And then in time, oh, I have a limited period of time with this body. What am I going to do with it? I have, I'm going to create something. I'm going to share. I'm not going to wait to the last minute to share my gift, to do my deal. So we have to walk in both worlds. And, and, uh, and then we honor the incarnation. Why did you think it, why, Michael, was your initial em emphasis with the congregation to guide the attention towards those most intimately affected? My, my anticipation in this question is that it was because there's, in a sense, there's a way that people can misinterpret, attach, or something when these kind of events occur. I didn't want the congregation to go into... Um, their particular process of missing him yet. I wanted, I wanted to have the congregation, who's, pretty, who's a pretty conscious congregation. So many people take classes there. So many people meditate to, to actually, let's, let's take the equity of our practice and put it to service. That's cool. You know, let's take the equity and put it to service. This is why we're here, to be of service. And of course, you're going to have your own feelings about this. You're going to do your own tears. You're going to have your own missing if you knew him or if you were detached some kind of way. You're going to have your own. Don't throw that away. But we're here in a community. We've just meditated. We've just sung a song. We've just prayed together. Let's take that and actually, you know, there's, you know, it's non-dual. It's non-local. So obviously the wife can feel this whether she knows what she's feeling or not. Oh, that's beautiful. You know. Hey. So, so, do you think our when you said about the sad loss of the minister, that friend of yours that died in Vegas, you know, like that uh, it came. To I'll me. say her name, Kate Murphy. Kate Murphy, Just put her out there. Yeah, and Kate Murphy, beautiful, beautiful being. When you talked about the loss of Kate Murphy, uh, you know, of course, the phone call is going to come for every single, you know, 
one of us. Is that our inability to live with that reality, is that because we, do you believe that we're so immersed in the ego that we don't accept the finite conditions of our life? Or do you think it's because we are connected to the eternity of our reality and so we don't truly acknowledge impermanence because of our connection to the permanent? No, I think, it, again, it's individual. Some people... Um, they don't want to deal with the fact that things are impermanent. And therefore, it's difficult for people to handle change. Well, that's the only constant in this world, this world of phenomena that's always changing. Everyone's changing. Everything is changing. And so many people don't want to deal with that. They're looking for um, something that's tried and true and stable all the time. There's nothing like that. There are no relationships like that. There's nothing like that. So I think that we are embracing the impermanent with the ability to touch that which is permanent, which is that presence. So you're able to br come into the impermanent, but still give your all without a sense of attachment. You know, you're able to just give your all here without trying to control the impermanent. You know, somebody may pass over tomorrow. You never know, somebody may get fired, divorce. There's all kinds of stuff happening. Yeah, when like with the people I really love, you know, the most young children, that's where I feel it. I feel like ah, oh, the sort of the love is so. Sh you know, when you talked about that thing as a little kid, we don't want to let the light. You couldn't give it. I love them so much that I feel like I sometimes can't let that love fully come, <laughs> or something. <laughs> it's going to explode me. Um, how do you navigate that intensity of feeling? Uh, with children or just period? When you love very strong uh, or when the, the awe of love and the awe of oneness and the awe of God. You know, I, I kind of um, um, have a public love affair with the God. You know, when I'm speaking and then when I'm with people, I just, I have to sometimes hold back so that I'm appropriate in whatever situation I'm in. I, a friend of mine uh, went to the movies last year and and there was kids playing downstairs and I was about to run down and pick them up and hug them because I would do that at Agape. And she grabbed me and said, no, you can't do that. You don't know those kids. I said, oh, right. It's going to be kind of weird. I'm going to grab this guy's kid and say, hey, I love you. You know, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I just love. You know? <laughs> that's, and try to do it in a way that's not going to cause any kind of issues, you know. Yeah, like finding like we you know when i said before about the thing we're performing in the sense like where you went that thing like it's not like you know it's almost like yeah i want to always be in context like that either in that context or in context that permit or facilitate that or where it's accepted that we're all you know like and it i i find it very difficult to bounce against the edges of the material yeah. world and accept the condition right, that right, we're right, in. right but right. like you said we chose this human incarnation right. we chose it we actually chose it. We made a choice to be here. It wasn't accidental. Nobody pushed us. You know, nobody tricked us into coming. We chose the incarnation. We also knew what would be happening when we got here, how we'd be imprinted with whatever the social milieu was happening, whatever the, the construct of fear and worry, to do what? To use it as a um, canvas, to paint with the colors of our soul, to set ourselves free and to change the status quo. We came for that. And then sometimes people get amnesia. They forget it. They, they, be, <clears throat> they walk in the status quo. And then other people come and they, they're more iconoclastic. They break free from it, you know. And um, 
So if you're on the spiritual path, you're probably one of those people that are breaking free from it. We all got our little job to do in this deal, have we? Yeah. Everybody's got something. Everybody's got something. The, we've been talking for like 65 minutes or something like that now. Before you, uh, maybe not in this room, maybe in another room, before you leave, can uh, we pray or something? Oh, absolutely. Whenever you want. I'd love oh, it. Yeah, I'd like I'd, that. Yeah, throw me into the spiritual briar patch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. That was a, that was that was amazing. Thank you. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, it felt like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Under the Skin with me and the fantastic Michael Beckwith. Let me know what you thought of it on Instagram. Tag me at Russell Brand or tweet me at Rusty Rockets with a hashtag Under the Skin or follow me on TikTok at Russell Brand. Send me little videos about me. You know I love that crap. Remember, I'm coming to Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and the United States with my new show, Recovery Live. Tickets are available now. Go to russellbrand.com. Also, if you're in LA or California, I'm in Santa Barbara on the 12th of February, California Jam in Costa Mesa on the 14th of Feb, and San Diego on the 19th of February. Go to russellbrand.com. In the meantime, why don't you go back and listen to some uh, previous podcasts of mine? Radnut Swami, Tony Robbins, fantastic stuff available. Motivating, spiritually illuminating stuff. Keep checking my YouTube channel daily for new videos too. And thank you for listening to me on Under the Skin from Luminary Media.